Welcome to The Look Back, the newest podcast hosted by former journalist turned media executive and host Keith Newman. The Look Back provides insights, tips, and maybe a few laughs during a free-flowing conversation on that roller coaster ride that reflects the past, present, and future of the Silicon Valley and tech economy. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Keith. How are you doing, buddy? I am well. I am well. I'm keeping my video image up there just for you. <laughs> Let me turn on my video. <laughs> oh, good, good stuff. And by the way, look at I got a switch up now. There you go. Oh, there you go. Looking good. Yeah. How you been? I've been great, man. Keeping very busy. How about you? Nonstop. You know, that and three kids, 11, 14, and 17, that keep me busy. Congratulations on all of that. It's beautiful, man. Uh, thank you so much for joining. I'm also recording right now, but uh, I wanted to just say thank you. I really appreciate it. I know how busy you are. Um, and I'll buzz through a couple of questions, but this is really called a little podcast called The Look Back. It's supposed to be a little fun look back on some of the early days. Um, but, you know, I'm going to have to ask you a couple of questions about the Mavericks. I don't know about the... I don't, know about, I don't know about the playoffs this year. I'm concerned. Yeah, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. Well, we play the Lakers tonight, so we'll know a whole lot more tonight. How about how about playing Warriors versus Mavs? That would be a hell of a game, a hell of a series. That's for damn sure. And NBA would love it, but we'd love to see both teams moving forward, you know? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Mark, I was so excited when uh, <laughs> you guys won the championship, and obviously the couple times we are, so we have to find ways to get back there now. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm definitely ready. I was going to joke with you. I haven't seen you get teed up for anything lately or any, any fines. You're starting to mellow. No, I'm not starting to mellow. I'm just being considerate because of all the, the COVID stuff going on. You know, even the refs have to deal with that. So I, I've decided to take it a little bit easier on it. I even tell them that. You know, I, I tell them, like, forgive <laughs> last night. I was talking to one of the refs. I'm like, look, I'm taking it easy on you guys just because of everything going on because you guys have it rough too. But I'll get back to yelling at you real soon. <laughs> That's awesome. The, the, the best owner, the most engaged owner out there. Okay. Seriously, you haven't seen my game in a while. You and I were shooting hoops at one conference, I remember, way back in the Battelle uh, industry standard days. I forget even where we were. Um, okay. You and you and uh, Dirk versus me and Luca. Um, I got me and Dirk. Okay. But three, <laughs> three pointers. I got to work on my three. I got to get Steph to take me out and work on my three a little bit, but my game is, uh, has definitely been weak the last 15 months. Yeah. I mean, I haven't played pickup since pre pandemic, but I get out there and shoot, you know? Um, so I've had a chance to work on my shot. some. I'm feeling confident. <laughs> I bet you are. And, uh, you also get your workouts in on all that other good stuff. So, what a fun extra benefit of owning the team. You get to use all the great facilities and coaches. One of the best parts is being able to go before a game and get up shots. Like we played the Lakers tonight, big game. Um, we played the Pistons yesterday and we won. But like yesterday, I went down to the practice court before the game and got shots up. I'll do the same thing tonight, you know, probably on the center court because it's a, a later game. So that's just the best part going out on the arena floor and just shooting because like it's my, you know, like it's my court because it is. <laughs> Does any other owner get out there and hoist shots? You know, maybe Michael Jordan, but I, I don't think so. <laughs> I could tell some other stories, but I want to keep this moving. Okay, let's <laughs> let's let's rock back because I just I just marvel at some of those earliest days in the industry where I ran into you. 
you, oh, were, yeah. doing, you were doing the netware thing. Yep. Um, and, and this is before broadcast.com for the listeners. This was um, early, early days. Where yeah, were they, you? What, yeah, take me back. I was in my 20s. Um, so I got fired from a software store in 1983 <laughs> and um, started a company called Microsolutions, just me, and then me and someone else, then me and one of my buddies. And that thing just kept on growing and growing and growing. And um, we were one of the very first, probably one of the first three Novell Network dealers. We were selling Banyan. We were selling Microsoft Networks. We, you know, we were the people you went to to decide if it was going to be Ethernet or ArcNet or GNet, whatever, all those different, you know, um, networking alternatives. Um, then we started writing software, taught myself how to program, wrote database applications and then different apps and just kept on growing and growing and growing, you know, and went, you know, six, seven straight years without a vacation and just all consumed. And that, you know, then I sold it and got to write for CRN with you. Is that funny? Remember the year of the land? <laughs> we had that. We kept joking how that was going to be a five year, the year of the land went on for half a decade. Yeah. It was, yeah. Cause we were, you know, it was the year of the land always because, yeah. you know, that was where we started making our money when we started selling Novell and Televideo, which was an OEM version of Novell. Um, and I remember back then, you know, it was hard enough to get people to understand what a PC was good for and how to do software, let alone connecting them together. And that, those were back in the days when just to be able to sell Lotus 123, a spreadsheet, you had to pay to go get certified in order to be able to sell it for 500 bucks back in the 80s. It was crazy. Yeah, I remember the box, too, that it came in. It was like 50 pounds. Um, well, it's a kind of a funny transition from, from that operation to when you actually wrote for the who wrote the column for CRN. And yeah. the funny thing is it was stock. You were doing stock tips and mostly on the shorter hedge side of things. Well, a little bit of both because um, yeah. that was back when um, you guys had a stock picking contest. Right. So I used to go in there and win the stock picking contest. And, That's right. You know, and uh, Jim Cramer still talks to me about that to this day about <laughs> reading CRN and, and using my stock picks. But um, it was great because you know, I remember you asking me and, and taking the train up from New York up to Long Island and just thinking I was it was such a big deal, you know, for me to be able to do that and, and putting my picture in CRN and, you know, being able to go as press to Comdex and CES and all these things. I, I was just so excited. And, you know, and I remember, you know, writing all these columns on sales and being a, um, an integrator and being a reseller and you know, back then, you know, like now, it, it's changed in terms of who, what, and where, but um, it's still just about finding solutions for customers. Absolutely. It really, in fact, the channel, as arcane as it is, it's as vital today as ever. Yeah, especially now with all the work at home and all the security and all the customization and, you know, it takes, yeah. people, takes people to do that. That, you know, there's so much to integrate that it's not easy. Yeah. Remind me how you did the jump over to broadcast.com. I know the story about the, the Indiana games and wiring them with, with Todd and, and all that great stuff. But remind me how you made that, that switch professionally. Well, I mean, we were audio net just doing audio and um, you talk about me personally or just how we went from audio to video with broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we were just audio with audio net and it was inevitable that we were going to have to do video. And, you know, we hung on, um, the hardest part actually was finding a good, U, a good, um, um, URL that we could use. And, and so 
I had somebody reach out to me trying to sell me this URL broadcast.com and I forget how much you wanted, but I remember we ended up buying it for $8,000 and I was like, okay, we got the URL. Now's the time. <laughs> and so that really, really pushed us. And then obviously it took a lot with the software and, you know, the client to make it work and then figuring out the bandwidth. Cause that was the hard part going from audio to video. It, it, it wasn't conceptually hard. It was just dealing with the amount of bandwidth and the cost of bandwidth and servers. Cause it, you know, really wasn't a cloud back then. We had thousands of servers that needed bandwidth and, and maintenance. And, and we got to listen to games over the internet and you were helping pioneer that. What, what was ultimately the, the trigger? Cause Yahoo, Yahoo said, we need to have this. We're a media company. We need to record more of this stuff. What happened though? It seemed like it, it all of a sudden took a pause for five years. Well, I mean, that was Yahoo. I mean, when yeah. we sold to Yahoo, we were crushing it. We were dominating. We were Pandora. We were Spotify. We were YouTube. You know, you name it. You know, we had, you know, video. We had TV stations we were streaming. We had movies. We had bought 10% of um, Trimark, which was the predecessor to Lionsgate Studios. Um, so we had content. We had live shows. We had on-demand shows. We had user-uploaded content. Everything. Um but then when the bubble burst, Yahoo's board just freaked out, you know, and their stock price went down and all they cared about was the stock price and, and not, you know, dealing with the future. Um, and they certainly even, didn't ask me. <laughs> so even though you were seeing great user growth, it wasn't throwing off the kind of returns that they were looking for. Well, it wasn't that, because that, like we were cash flow break even. Yeah, we really were. It wasn't like we were costing them a lot of money at all. I mean, our last quarter as a public company, I think we lost $3 million. That was it. Yeah. Um, and then the next quarter, we were, we were cash flow break even and we're on the way to cash flow positive. But, you know, Yahoo, they went through multiple CEOs. They just, you know, they, they just freaked out. And so, they, so, so fair to say, looking back, obviously you, you sold it and you got a great price for it when you sold it, but, but maybe could have bought it back and turned it into pre-Spotify or could be competing more with oh, Yahoo? Yeah. Would they have sold it to me? No. Um, should they have been YouTube and Spotify and Pandora? Absolutely. I mean, there's even a company we bought, Net Roadshow, that is just crushing it right now for, you know, during the pandemic in particular for companies that want to go public, you know, and, and got in Brad and, and um, just things like that. They just gave it away and they just, they just screwed up. Yeah, Yahoo wasn't the best. Uh, they they weren't the best at uh, taking companies and and acquiring them and turning them into something bigger, really. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because Jerry Yang is super smart. He's one of the smartest guys I know. But yeah. you know, I guess he just got tired of dealing with the confrontation of the board, and you know that was it. Um, but yeah, it's a shame. Okay, well let's move let's move on to something a little bit more on the upbeat side too, because I love what you're doing on Shark Tank and it's so fun to watch. Obviously, I don't I don't get in as front of it as much as I'd like to, but whenever I see it, I'm just like so amazed at how how you bring the energy that represents the true startup entrepreneur and and the economy around that. Um, yeah. And it, it's sort of interesting, Mark. You know, I live in the valley here, in the middle of it. And, you know, it's, and I know you have a little bit of a holdback on the Valley, but it, it's the same. Yeah. But, but the, but the feeling that I get from you 
is that you're looking for startups and you're not like trying to build your portfolio and show, you know, the best IRR. You're very, you're very um, uh, economically uh, focused, but you're looking to really help these guys realize their dreams. Yeah. And also because it's television, you want to send a message that the American dream is alive and well. You know, I want to, I do the show not because I'm trying to make more money, um, even though it's, it, I've done okay, I've done well with it, but um, I do it because kids watch it, families watch it together. And we get, you know, all the sharks get to inspire these kids to go out there and start businesses. Right. And to me, you know, that that's needed. That That's of huge value. Um, and that's why I do the show. Excuse me. And if, if ever I felt like I, I wasn't having an impact and, you know, kids weren't benefiting from it, then I would stop. It's, it is kind of amazing. And I really do tip my cap sincerely. Um, the, the time we live in today, everyone thinks they can start a company. And they can. Yeah. You know, what happens next? <laughs> when, we, when we were growing up, we all thought we were going to go work for a bank or a... And not you, maybe, it's, maybe it's you, right? But um, I tried to work for a bank and I tried to work for these places. I was just always a lousy employee. But, you know, but you're right now, particularly Gen Z, you know, there, were, there was, you know, a time with millennials and stuff. Maybe they weren't as excited about business, but Gen Z is all about, you know, how can I do this? How can I do that? And, you know, when you hire kids that age, Mavericks players, you know, that are in their early 20s or younger, you know, they have a, a sense of, of mission um, socially and entrepreneurially that I think is, is really important. Yeah, it's great. I, uh, I I see it all the time too. When you are evaluating some of this talent, Shark Tank or, or not, what are you looking for um, as you evaluate, like you're evaluating your, your players on draft day, right? Now you're evaluating these startups. Um, is it the technology? Is it the idea, the concept, how unique it is, the potential disruption, the mode around it before it gets copied um, or, or the, uh, yeah, or the kid? Or the, or the it really depends on what the business is trying to accomplish. Yeah. You know, um, if it's twisted up combs, which is a different way to style your hair for African-American hair, that, that's one thing, right? Or if it's a vegan hamburger company, um, legendary burgers, that's, you know, that's a lifestyle thing. If it's um, oh, panoramic, which got sold to um, Carvana, that's a technology play. Each one of them has, you know, a different need and a different type of, of approach that I take, you know, so sometimes it's the horse, sometimes it's the jockey. It really just depends on what the business is. And sometimes it's just for TV. You know, there's been deals that I knew would be awful financially, but I really wanted people to realize that, you know, they're probably not going to hear the long-term story where it probably doesn't work but they see somebody really excited who started in their kitchen and something special gets to happen to them. No, I appreciate that. And your candor around the TV factor, because that's, uh, that makes it special too. The, it, the, the trick of a successful company though, like what really hits the, you know, the, the big numbers, the unicorn status, these guys, how much of that can you even figure out at early stage? I mean, you can in a certain respect, like with broadcast.com as audio net, I remember meeting and we had like 20 employees and having a, a get together because we wanted to take a picture and saying, look, if we do this right, this is going to be worth, this company is going to be worth $5 billion because we're going to change all of media. Wow. And if we execute well, that's exactly what's going to happen. And that's exactly what did happen. 
Now, I also told him there's a chance that, you know, we'd fail miserably if we didn't execute. Um, but you can tell when somebody's got a unique proposition where the demand is there before they even ship. And then it's just a question of can they fulfill it and can they continue to be agile and, and evolve? Because growing a company, having a company that can grow is one thing. Growing it is another. Sustain, sustaining that growth and doing it well is a whole nother. And those, those all take different skill sets. Right. What do, you, what do you focus on the most yourself when you're working with startups? Uh, you know, just looking at the strengths of the company and the strengths and weaknesses, the strengths and weaknesses of the company, the product, the service, whatever it may be, and the same with the entrepreneur, you know, and then trying to determine where I can add value. Because And some entrepreneurs, they don't want to be helped. It's like, thanks for the investment, Mark. You know, <laughs> you know you're there if we need you and yeah. appreciate it. What do you know? You know, or, or hit me up on email or calling me every other minute. And, and that's fine, too. Um, it's just a question of understanding the entrepreneur and, and how they work and what they need and what's going to make the company successful. That's great. How many deals have you done over the, was it, 10 years? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, and by the way, we're still killing it. Friday nights on ABC and we're still winning the night every night in the demo. It's unbelievable all these years in. But I hear, um, I hear these big ratings could sometimes lead to a presidential run or something. No, that's not going to happen. I, <laughs> I can tell you that with 100% certainty. It's not going to happen. Um, I was looking for a big scoop. No, no big scoop. <laughs> Sorry. Um, where were we? <laughs> Um, you know, the number of deals you've done. Oh, and that's right. Um, over the course of Shark Tank, I've probably said yes to 200 companies, probably 70% of those closed because we get to do due diligence after the fact. And yeah. sometimes they'll say their widgets cost a dollar to make, and they only cost a dollar if you make a billion of them, and they've yeah. made 17. Um, so sometimes you get that. But of the ones, the 130, 40 that I've closed, um, they, they follow the normal distribution where 10 to 20% just crush it, 10 to 20% fail, and the rest are just normal companies. And over the years, you know, probably a 10% IRR, annual IRR, which is not going to put me in the record books, but given some of those are basically, you know, done just for television, that's not bad. I have to believe you're 100% higher than O'Leary. Yeah, well, that's not saying much. <laughs> <laughs> You know, a funny sidebar is I, I met him. I met him after I met you through the CR Computer Retail Week side of things. Yeah, I remember that. When his claim to fame was taking a whole bunch of CDs out of those big boxes we used to sell and, set, and put them in these little packages and then put them on spinner racks at Walmart and other kind of mass merchants. Because I was working after I sold Micro Solutions, I was working some with Comp USA and doing some consulting and talking, you know, dealing with retail and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was funny. So this is called the look back, Mark. So when you look back, I mean, not many regrets probably from where you're sitting, besides maybe buying the Warriors instead of the Mavericks. What do you, uh, what do you, look, what do you think about uh, that might you might have changed things, either job, career, position? Oh, yeah. I think the only thing I would have done is I would have been nicer, you know, because sometimes in those early days, particularly with micro solutions, I used to get so intense. I was on such a mission that, you know, I never was tried to be mean to somebody, but I wasn't always nice to everybody, mm. you know, and, and it probably caused, it probably slowed me down and probably could have done even better. If I just would have been nicer, you know, 
I was always nice to our employees, never yelled, but there were, there were times when, you know, I would be snippy and, you know, I would, I would be um, irritable if, some, if someone did something in a way that I thought wasn't thought out, right? Use common sense. You know, this is just common sense. Where's the common sense? You know, those types of things that I know didn't make people feel better that probably would have worked out. But, you know, when it was all said and done, out of the 80 employees that we had over those seven years, we had only one person leave and that person came back to work for us. So that was a pretty good track record. Mark, I know it's been a roller coaster ride and all kinds of businesses are, right? But I've, I've met a lot of great people in my career with the interviews. Always enjoyed our conversations. You were always yeah, sure. helpful. When um, I just want to jump to the current phase of things because you're always so knowledgeable on these trends. And it's interesting, the areas of, of Bitcoin and NFTs and how they're going to uh, impact the sports world. A lot of people don't understand it. Um, but it has a, it has a, a, a potential of material impact. Um, yeah. And put aside the collectible side, right. You know, NFTs as, you know, digital collectibles of, you know, videos from sports or whatever, even business. Um, the real upside is in business, being able to change business processes using blockchain and smart contracts where, you know, the, the, the simple example is if the Mavericks want to buy insurance on the weather, because if the weather in Dallas falls below zero degrees and there's more than two inches of snow, people aren't going to come to the game. So why not do that on a smart contract as opposed to going to a traditional insurance company where I, you know, because with a smart contract, it could just take the data from the National Weather Service for the, the area for the zip code where the Mavs arena is the American Airlines Center and buy X amount of insurance and if the precipitation goes above and the temperature goes below those numbers that I bought, it just automatically pays me in a stable coin like USDC or DAI or whatever goes into my crypto wallet and I don't have to talk to anybody. And that whole approach of doing trustless transactions. And when they talk about trustless, they just mean, you know, historically we do businesses with companies we trust because they're big, right? We want bigger insurance companies, we want bigger banks, you know, we want bigger organizations um, because they should be more trustworthy. No one ever got in trouble for doing business with IBM, right? Um, exactly. And so that's all built on trust. But the reality is our trust in those big institutions is falling like a rock. You know, we don't trust the insurance company just to pay our, our claim and without giving us a lot of grief. We don't trust our bank to pay us the maximum amount of interest that we should be able to earn. We don't trust them not to charge us fees for you know, in a way that is, you know, negative for our bank account, you know, the, that one overdraft where they charge you $70, you know, as, as opposed to just saying, okay, you know, we'll, we'll loan you the money and pay us back, whatever, right? There's just so many things that the institutions we historically have trusted, we no longer trust. Now with blockchain and proof of stake and proof of validation and all these different approaches to verification, you're going to see those business processes move to blockchain. And it'll be a, and it'll be what's called trustless because instead of trusting somebody who works for the insurance company, you're trusting some, you know, maybe artificial intelligence to a certain degree. And once it passes through AI, you're trusting validators who are trained, but they don't know who you are. They don't work for anybody. They just get paid by the transaction, whether they approve you or not. And, and so as a result, you're going to see things like my insurance example with the weather. You'll see things with health insurance. You'll see things with car insurance. You'll see things with real estate transactions, just never ending applications. 
Yeah, it's uh, th that's the same concept as the indelible ledger, right? I'm, I'm, it's secure. It's because it's in many different. Uh, well, yeah, right. So it's fully distributed um, and replicated, but it's it's because it's a blockchain. The way the blockchain is set up, it's all um, anonymous, basically. It's public, right? That that thing is whatever is written to the blockchain is public for everybody to see, which is good. But at the same time, the people who are making the, the decisions to put it on the blockchain, that's all, you know, when it's written, that those are all miners or validators, and that's all, all trustless, which is incredible. Well, that was going to lead into one of my final questions, Mark, which is if you're going to start a business today, so micro solutions today for you, uh, what would it be? And it, it seems like you're giving me a little picture of the answer, perhaps. But Yeah, I mean, it depends how old I was. I mean, if I'm 16, I'm probably doing something with Alexa where I'm going door to door and business to business, you know, telling people I can customize their Alexa to, to do things that can simplify their lives. Um, probably doing something with artificial intelligence, making sure that just like back in the day, I taught myself network and programming and, you know, wide area networking principles and, and technologies. Now I'd probably do AI and, you know, trustless applications replacing traditional SaaS and software um, that run big companies to allow small companies to do the same things, but in a trustless environment. So you don't need to go through three layers and you remove. So, and the end, the end game is remove a ton of friction and a ton of cost. Got it. Well, that makes great sense. So I'm such a sports junkie. I have to close on sports. Now, what are we going to see the, as the next big step in the evolution of watching sports, either at home or at the stadium. Did you, I think you just built a new arena too, right? No, that was 20 years ago, Pete. Jeez. <laughs> seemed like yesterday. It does <laughs> seem like yesterday. Maybe, I, maybe it was some new technology that you... Uh, yeah, we do a lot. Yeah, we do all save me here. What, am I, what was I talking about? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, there's going to be a lot of changes in how people consume. I mean, look... The whole concept of AudioNetBroadcast.com was to give people media how, where, and when they want that. And now we can do that with streaming. Anything you want, you can get any way you want it, when you want it. But the key is how you want it now. What type of presentation are we going to give? And that's what's going to change. Because the way you and I have learned to consume sports, sit down and watch a game, maybe turn on Sports Center, right? maybe get a highlight online or whatever, is completely different than the way Gen Z consumes sports. You know, everything is on Snapchat Discover, it's on TikTok, it's on Instagram, Instagram Reels, and it's a very short bites. And so like my 11-year-old son can't sit and watch a whole game. But if you just throw highlights of it, you know, Luca highlights and he knows all the players, Steph highlights, he's going to go, oh, I love it. I love basketball. And that's what all the data says as well, that, you know, among Gen Z, the NBA is even more popular than the NFL now. But we're, what we haven't conquered is the best way to present our games to Gen Z. And what I think is going to happen is rather than saying, okay, sit down and watch a whole game in front of the TV or streaming, it's going to be, we're going to give it to you by possession and bites. And even though it, it ends up being somewhat, somewhat similar to a TV game, maybe the announcers are different, but it's only given to you in short bites. And so possession, another possession, another possession. All right, interview you know, someone doing a stupid dance, back to the game. And so just those short bites, I think, is where we're going. It changes the economic model a little bit, doesn't it? Not necessarily, because um, 
you know, the average viewer for a, a televised game is about 40 to 42 minutes. And so all we have to do is get them to consume our game for 42 minutes and the economic model is the same. And if we get them to watch more than 42, it's even better. That's awesome. What about the in-person experience? Uh, I hate watching my phone as I'm watching the game. I've got, right. you know. Yeah, I mean, we try to make it so your head's up as much as possible. You know, there, there's been some teams that are trying to do things on phones and this and that, send this to the phone. And, and we avoid that because we try to make it, if, you know, whether it's on the Jumbotron, whether it's on the court, whether it's during the game, there's always something going on. We know you're going to check your phone, but we want to keep your attention as much as possible. And, you know, we'll continue to do that. Um, but again, it, it's more, how do you just keep the energy up in the arena? Because that's what makes it different than watching on your phone or watching at home is when you walk into an arena of a game, you feel the energy, you feel the excitement, you, you feel that, you know, the, the, the energy from all the people around you. And, you know, there's nothing better than it's a close game and you're chanting and screaming. And again, you feel the energy and then, you know, you hit someone hits a game winner and you're high-fiving and hugging people you've never met before in your life, yep. you know, and, and that's what makes going to a game different. Yep. Well, with that, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you get back to it. Cause I know you, uh, between your spreadsheets and your jump shots, you've got a busy day. <laughs> I got a lot going on just like you. <laughs> you got to go take out the Lakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, it's a big game tonight. We play them. So because of the COVID schedule, compressed schedule, we play them tonight, have a day off, and then we play them again on Saturday. So is, Le, is, is LeBron and AD still out? I, I think LeBron's out. I think AD's playing tonight. Oh, good. Okay, well, that'll make it fun. Yep. Hey, man, and that was brilliant picking Luca. That was a, that was a great – that was a steal. Man, he nailed it. Mark, thanks a tremendous amount. Appreciate it. Anytime, Keith. Always been great. And thanks for everything you did for me in the beginning. That's a success. Thanks, Keith. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Look Back. We do appreciate your support. Welcome any feedback. And would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and even consider sharing it with some of your friends. For more information and other cool info, check us out at newmanmediastudios.com. <laughs>